This is a CBC Podcast. Hello. We have a special bonus episode for Ideas listeners. White Coat Black Art is a CBC radio program and podcast. Hosted by emergency physician Dr. Brian Goldman, it tells heartwarming and provocative stories that help demystify the world of medicine. This episode we're sharing today is about something you might not have heard about before. It's about cancer previvors. They're the growing number of people who have genes that mean they live with a near certainty they'll get breast, ovarian, and other kinds of cancer. So here's the question. What would you do? Some people choose to do nothing. Others decide to act. We hear from two women who took drastic measures to protect themselves. Here are their stories. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. This is White Coat Blackheart. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to live your life being chased by a dreaded disease? I watched my mom, my cousins, my aunts die of breast cancer, pancreatic cancer. So I was not taking that chance. My cousin had cancer. Once she came back with the confirmation of the genetic mutation, and then obviously once my mother tested positive, I went and got the test, and I tested positive. So right away, that started my my journey. All of a sudden, you're then in this place of, I don't have cancer right now, but I could any time. I feel like I had no choice. I was stuck. Like, I was given this diagnosis, and either I sort of bury my head in the sand and ignore it, or I tackle it head on and have a mastectomy. April is Cancer Awareness Month, and our show this week is about a life-shattering kind of awareness. It even has a name. You've probably heard of cancer survivorship. That is all about the health and well-being of people who have had cancer. Our show this week is about something called cancer previvorship. These are people who have to figure out how to live knowing they don't have cancer yet, but almost certainly will one day. The plethora of cancer genes means more and more people have joined the Previvors Club. This week, we have the stories of two women who are Previvors, how they took the news and what they did about it may be different, but one thing they have in common. Once you find out, there's no going back. Producer Stephanie Dubois has spent weeks doing a deep dive into Previvorship. She's here with me now. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, Brian. Stephanie, what had you heard about Previvorship before working on this show? Yeah, admittedly, I had never heard of it before. You know, I had heard about Angelina Jolie's decision to get a double mastectomy due to her breast cancer risk, which you probably remember too, Brian. Um, but, you know, Previvor is such an interesting term to me because, like you mentioned, you know, we hear from cancer survivors. But to have a term that describes what it's like to know you have a genetic mutation, but you don't have cancer. Uh, yeah, that's just really interesting to me. And, you know, the linguists among us will will point out that uh, cancer previvorship was a buzzword of, of 2007, but somehow mm -hmm. it hasn't rippled through uh, the medical community to the same extent, you know, such that I, I only heard about it recently and I thought we've got to do a show about this. Mm -hmm. From the work you've done, the story has really moved you. Why do you think that is? You know, I think it's a couple of reasons, but I think the what really resonated with me was this idea of what would you do if you were faced with this knowledge? And, you know, I couldn't help but think about what I personally would do if I found out I had a genetic mutation. I mean, it 
it can't be an easy decision. And obviously there's, there's so many factors that go into making that decision, like, you know, age or, you know, the likelihood of getting a specific cancer. But it was interesting hearing from some of the pre-vivors how they want to know everything under the sun. You know, they Google, they joined Facebook groups because they just want to know. Yet some of their siblings didn't want to even get the genetic testing done and chose not to do anything for the time being and, you know, continue living their life. And I think, you know, what also touched me about these women's stories was this common theme of you can't change your genetics, but you can decide what you do with this knowledge of a genetic mutation. And I think making that choice to have a preventative surgery is just so, so brave. And, you know, Stephanie, I think one of the hinge points of, of cancer previvorship is whether or not you can do something about it. And if you yeah. can do something about it, then, then it sets up a huge dilemma, which we're going to explore now. And to that end, you met several previvors. Tell us about them. Yeah, you know, I spoke with seven cancer previvors, and for most of them, they knew almost right away that they would be proactive about dealing with their elevated cancer risk if their genetic uh, test results came back positive. And there are several reasons why, but some of these women, you know, have family members with either the genetic mutation and or a specific type of cancer like breast cancer. And so we're going to hear two women's tell their stories. And uh, for example, there's Anne, who I talked to at home. You'll, you might hear her young son in the background. And Jordan, who I chatted with while she was also at home. And here are their stories of living as a previvor. My name's Jordan Plain. I'm 28 years old. I live in Penetanguishene and I'm a registered social worker in a psychiatric hospital. When it comes to understanding the term previvor, I really didn't have too much understanding or context of what a previvor is or or isn't. Um, when I was first informed of the genetic mutation that I, I do carry, I, I kind of turned to the internet as I think most people do. Um, Facebook uh, has really been a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful tool um, to explore what previvorship is. I come from a very long line of family members who have tested positive for the BRCA2 mutation. Um, I unfortunately lost my mom at just shy of two years old from breast cancer. So I've always known that there is a likelihood I could carry the genetic mutation. Unfortunately, my mother passed away prior to being informed or even having an understanding of what the BRCA gene is. Um, so my, my dad always talked to me about the, the genetic mutation and the possibility. So I've always known that that was a possibility. And as I grew older um, and got some of my ducks in a row, including life insurance, um, and found a partner and, and got settled in life, it was a conversation together where we ultimately decided to explore the possibility of me carrying that genetic mutation so that I always use this saying that I can kick cancer's butt before it ever has a chance to kick mine. And that was really the driving kind of analogy throughout the entire process. So my name is Angeska Meyer and I am 39 years old. I live in Red Lake, Ontario. Uh, I am a stay-at-home mom to five kids. The genetic mutation that I have is called PAL-B2. Before my journey, I had never heard the term previvor. <laughs> it was completely new to me and it was definitely one that I had to educate myself and learn about and even learn to accept because without having had breast cancer, it felt odd to take on a term. 
And yet at the same time, it's really nice to have a term that can express the term to provider to express the journey that I have been on because it has been a hard journey to process. So having the word provider is really helpful for my mental journey of accepting this process. My dad actually was the one who called my husband to let him know about my sister's diagnosis of cancer. Uh, so I was laying in bed with my newborn and he told me about my sister having breast cancer and it brought up so many mixed feelings because we had grown very apart for a few years. And yeah, it brought up a lot of things that I had to work through and really did heal our relationship. We waited for her to get her results from the genetic testing. At that point, I still didn't really know what that would mean if it was genetic. Um, I assumed that it wouldn't be genetic. I don't know why. <laughs> I guess a hopeful, you're just hoping it is. Um, when she got her results, she called me and my husband was gone for a weekend and I was standing under a tree and she told me her result and um, that conversation was very brief. Um, but then we hung up and I just fell on the ground. Um, I already struggle with anxiety and anxiety attacks. So it definitely triggered an attack. Um, my kids came to get me. So I went in, put on the movie for them and hid behind the kitchen island on the ground, laying down, just crashed. Even though that was not my result, it was hers. It was opening the door to 50% chance that I have it as well. And my kids, and I already had five kids. And so you're thinking like, and I wish I'd known this before I had five kids. <laughs> Stephanie, from what Anne just said, from the moment she found out about family members who tested positive for the gene, to her, it was like she already had a diagnosis of cancer. Is that how people react to the news? Yeah, you know, for some of the women I spoke to, yeah, that's definitely that's definitely how they felt. And then, you know, after hearing the news, some of them decided almost right away that they were going to do something about it. But for Anne, she actually had to wait to get her genetic results after finding out about her sister's test for a variety of reasons. But here's how she describes it. Um, so it took almost a year, almost a year before I was able to get genetic testing and the result. I have a picture of that day and just feel all the emotions every time I see it. It was a lot like in some ways, I feel like I had processed that possibility when I heard my sister say it was genetic. I feel like I subconsciously kind of knew, um, but then I didn't sleep for three days, um, nights. Like I just had to Google and go into groups and learn all the terminology. So I didn't, I didn't rest until I had done all my research and I knew instantly I would want a mastectomy. So I'm doing all my research about the different how mastectomy works about the different type of reconstruction about like everything like i just learned the terminology and i knew i would need need to know what i was talking about to have doctors agree to do a mastectomy because it's drastic and they want you to know that you really know <laughs> you're really sure uh you're informed that was a huge learning curve so that's Anne finding out she tested positive for breast cancer genes you know, stephanie did she get counseling at that moment 
Anne didn't mention it, but Jordan talked a little bit about how that was uh, offered to her, but she would also found solace in, in talking to other family members who hadn't known about the genetic mutation. And I think that is really an important aspect for some of these pre-vivors in, in knowing someone that he's either gone through the genetic testing or has gone through these preventative measures like a double mastectomy. And I think that is a really important aspect for a lot of these pre-vivors. So what about Jordan finding out that she tested positive? Yeah, so as Jordan mentioned earlier, her dad had told her about a potential genetic mutation from a really young age. And even still, though, she said it was really difficult to get that call confirming a genetic mutation. Here's her story. I still remember that day clear as water. Um, I was in my kitchen just on my lunch break. Just a call you would never expect to get on your lunch break where the genetic counselor ultimately had shared my results. I cried a lot. I was very emotional, not for the fact that I carried the genetic mutation, but I think it was the idea that I would then have to tell my parents, who obviously that's an added layer of concern for my my dad, especially um, for my partner. And then one of the big things that I'm really hyper-focused on um, when I have children is that I will then be possibly passing on a genetic mutation to my children. Almost instantaneously from finding out the results of the genetic test, I almost immediately knew what I was going to do. That had always been a conversation, I think, between my partner and I around what happens with this knowledge now. Um, and so immediately I was linked with the team at the North York General Hospital in Toronto, where I would eventually find both my general surgeon as well as my plastic surgeon um, to complete my surgery. Bilateral mastectomy with reconstruction. Um, I don't know if I necessarily knew all of the words. I didn't know kind of the format, but I knew whatever it took was that I was going to get that mastectomy. I did have the thought of whether this is, I don't have to have the mastectomy, I can go on. When you do test positive, they tell you what your options are, and that is one of the options that was presented with me through my genetic counselor, informing me that I did have the ability um, to just have, uh, I think it was yearly screenings. However, that wasn't even really a thought in my mind, um, because again, I go back to that comment I made earlier around, I wanted to kick cancer's butt before it ever had a chance to kick mine, and my partner didn't sign up to be exposed or experiencing um, breast cancer. That's not something that runs in his family. I didn't want my dad to have to experience losing his wife to breast cancer and then having to watch his daughter navigate that. And so to me, it was one of the acts that I could do for myself, but also again for the team around me that so tirelessly supported me in that journey. Jordan talked about treatment, talked about, you know, the option of, of having a bilateral mastectomy. We'll get to that because it's a really important part of this story. But before that, I wanted to flag something else that really struck me, that when it comes to cancer previvorship, it's not just the person, but their family, their, their, their biological family who's affected across generations. Yeah, it's really it's really interesting. I mean, for Jordan, for example, she has seven aunts on her mom's side and five of them tested positive for the genetic mutation. I mean, that's that's quite a substantial number. And, you know, her mom, although she was never tested, 
was a carrier of the gene too because Jordan has it. And for a lot of these women that I spoke to, that strong family history is one of the biggest motivators for them to do something about their increased cancer risk. And for Anne, her sister's journey with breast cancer was a huge reason why she wanted to do something about her own risk. And you know, Stephanie, the thing that strikes me is that there must be, you know, we've heard of survivor guilt. There must be previvor guilt. Imagine how you would feel knowing that you've passed this gene on to, to somebody else who, you know, to a child who now has to deal with it. Yeah, Anne, Anne spoke about that. And, and she said that point blank, she wouldn't have had five kids had she known she had that genetic mutation. And I think, I think that's something that a lot of, you know, individuals that would have a genetic mutation would, that would resonate with them because, you know, you really didn't want uh, that, that risk to be passed on to your children, but sometimes you just don't know until much later in life. And yeah, it's, it's a really interesting dilemma. You're listening to White Coat Black Art. This week, we're telling the powerful stories of two women who are cancer providers. Both Jordan and Anne had family members with breast cancer, both got genetic testing, and found out that they too carried genes that gave them a very high chance of getting cancer too. Producer Stephanie Dubois is back with me in the studio. Stephanie, both of these women decided to deal with the risk preemptively by having surgery. But as Jordan mentioned, there's another option for previvors to just be a lot more vigilant about regular cancer screenings. Yeah, that's right. And I think it's important to emphasize that both Anne and Jordan could have had yearly screenings done. That was definitely an option that was presented to them. But, you know, another previvor described that option as like playing a game of Russian roulette. And that, that really stood out to me. You know, she said you could not get cancer and just hope that yearly screenings would catch any cancer early enough. But, it, you know, it is important to note that not everyone chooses to have a preventative surgery with that genetic testing information. But as we'll hear from the two providers, they felt they had to do something about their cancer risk. I'm curious, did either Anne or Jordan have trouble convincing doctors to have their preventative mastectomies done? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Jordan told me she definitely did because uh, she was only 26 at the time. And some thought it was too early to have a double mastectomy. You know, she talks about her frustration of having to advocate to have the surgery done and having to explain the risk and genetic mutation to doctors not in her situation. For Anne, though, she said her experience with doctors was what I would describe as almost like cramming before an exam. She had made the choice to get a double mastectomy, but she told me that she felt like she needed to know everything about the surgery, like how it works, the terminology, you know, in, in order to convince her doctors that she knew what she was getting into. Here's Anne first, then Jordan. The family doctor and then the breast surgeon, the plastic surgeon, they all came at me with basically the same questions that were really pushing to make sure I knew what I was talking about, like to make sure I knew the seriousness of having a mastectomy and the risks of it and what I could do. But by then, you know, I had looked into anything that can go wrong with a mastectomy, the different types of reconstruction. I had sort of decided on this one kind of reconstruction and sat with it, didn't feel right, sat with another one, didn't feel right, like until I found the one I found peace with. But I needed to know what I was getting into um and that's where like learning the terminology was really important 
because I could use instead of just saying like, yeah, I want a mastectomy, like just in case. I was like, no, I need a prophylactic double mastectomy with just so that they could see that I'd done my research and that I didn't have any doubt about it. I really needed to advocate for myself. I was met with a lot of, oh, well, you'll want to do things such as breastfeeding or this could impact your decision to get pregnant later on. All of these things that um, other women, actually, all of my healthcare professionals were women identifying, were imposing on me. And it was a really difficult moment to have someone try to, who doesn't have the gene mutation, who doesn't understand the history, in-depth history of my family, um, to have them impose their views of my ability to breastfeed or not. That seemed to have been one of the biggest concerns among healthcare providers was my then inability to engage in that as at the time I was 25 or 26 navigating that system. But eventually, like I had said, I was, I was paired with a wonderful team who, although they had some concerns as a young woman, um, they were very much in support of every decision I made and I never had to present myself firmly. They accepted my decision asked me a couple questions, and within those moments, they were booking my appointment and my surgery dates. But for me, the the biggest obstacle that I didn't, I guess, anticipate was the night prior. Because I live about two hours away from a large city, I had to spend the night before my operation and the night after my operation in a hotel room. Um, The thoughts running through my mind were rapid, and one of the biggest concerns that I had actually had that really didn't present itself in the lead up to surgery was this idea of waking up flat at the time being 26 and waking up flat chested because of this idea that society has on us that our breasts or our ovaries make us a woman when in reality there is so much more to me than these limbs that society deems as makes me a woman so that was that was a really interesting thought pattern that I laid awake for for many hours exploring and unpacking. And ultimately, the the first thing I thought when I woke up post-surgery wasn't, am I flat-chested? It was, when can I eat a cheeseburger? Um, But it was those small things that I realized that at the end of the day, it didn't matter. I I woke up and I just felt good because I woke up. And that was kind of, I had met my goal at that point. The next day, I definitely did get my cheeseburger. I was barely awake from my mastectomy. They were still willing me back to the ER or a room. I couldn't even talk, couldn't barely open my eyes. And I remember thinking, I did it. I did it. I did it. (laughs) It was just this intense like euphoria of like, because it's like the night before is horrible. (laughs) It's just like, am I really doing this? Like I can still back out. (laughs) Like really afraid. But those first couple of days were just like crazy, just like, oh my gosh, I did it. Like I was so happy, so relieved that it was done. I have had zero regrets at all. Like it's been over a year now since the mastectomy. Um, no regrets. <laughs> like, I'm so glad that I don't have that weight hanging on me anymore that like cancer might be growing in my breast right now, like at any moment. I might be growing cancer. <laughs> I don't have to think about that. I don't have to think about screenings. I don't feel brave. Um, I feel like I was, I feel like I had no choice. 
I was stuck. Like I was given this diagnosis and either I sort of bury my head in the sand and ignore it or I tackle it head on and have a mastectomy. You know, Stephanie, we should make it clear that uh, the percentage of people who are cancer previvors is really tiny compared to the total number of people who will get cancer uh, in, in, in Western society, you know, including, including breast cancer. So I want to make that clear. But the, another way of looking at that is that who but a cancer previvor understands what it's like to go through the dilemmas that Jordan and Anne have gone through. Isn't that true? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, basically they really believe that, uh, you know, unless you're faced with this genetic mutation, it's, it's a really difficult decision to make, but for them, it was, you know, uh, they were really firm in their decision that they wanted to do something about it. And, you know, their message to others is basically, you know, don't be afraid of whether that's a genetic mutation or, you know, you're doing genetic testing, you know, they're really of the the mindset that knowledge is power. And they're really big believers in having those conversations and, you know, getting the genetic testing done. You know, here are Anne's thoughts on that. I think it's really important to talk about genetic testing. Not everybody knows that you can do that and that there are some mutations other than BRCA even, because some people have been tested specifically for BRCA and don't have it. But if you've been tested 10 years ago, you should get tested for PALB2 because it's a newer one. People who have a strong history of breast cancer in their family, um, it's, I guess, not to be so scared of it. Like I was, it's scary to think about it. You know, you're thinking about like, well, what about insurance? What about life, life policies, all this stuff. And like, I know that's scary, but at the same time, being able to tackle it head on, I feel gave me it gave me power back um, and I can be very proud of the title previvor because I sure worked for it. Like I paid for it, but it's a very strong symbol to be able to be like, I am a previvor. Like there, there is a little bit of guilt with it that my sister had to go through breast cancer for me to find out in some way she very likely may have saved me from getting breast cancer by her having breast cancer, which is sad. Um, but yeah, it's that, those mixed emotions of guilt and pride. <laughs> wow. Wow. That, that, that's really amazing. You know, both Anne and Jordan uh, talked a lot about the critical importance of genetic testing. And in their cases, the test results set off a chain of events uh, on their pre-viver journey. But for those who want to know more about their genetics, is genetic testing accessible enough? The short answer is it depends on your risk and family history. So for both Jordan and Anne, they were able to access the testing because of their strong family history of breast cancer. But we know that wait times for genetic testing can vary depending on your risk, but also depending where you live in Canada. And you know we'll hear from one woman next week who had to wait years for genetic testing in the public system, despite her having a family history of breast cancer. And she ended up getting breast cancer during that wait. But we'll also talk about the role genetic counselors play in walking people through that pre-viver journey, you know, making that call to tell them, uh, you know, the individual about their genetic testing risk, but also the growing demands for genetic testing that we're seeing in Canada. And that will be our show next week on White Coat Black Art. I can't wait for it. Uh, thank you so much, Stephanie, for bringing us this really powerful and important story. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Brian.
That's our show this week. If you wish to comment, our email address is whitecoat at cbc.ca. White Coat Blackheart was produced this week by Stephanie Dubois with help from Amina Zoffer, Isabel Gallant, and Jeff Goods, who is also our senior producer this week. Our digital producer is Ruby Buiza. That's medicine from my side of the gurney. I'm Brian Goldman. See you next week. That was the Previvor Dilemma from White Coat Black Art. You can subscribe to the White Coat Black Art podcast to download the second part of the series and explore the show's vast archive. Thank you for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.